Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to Good Grief, a podcast about grief and how we develop, learn, and form meaningful traditions around it. Hello, it's been a while um, since my last podcast. Summer has got in the way. I say got in the way, just enjoyed myself for a little while and uh, let the old podcast slip. So apologies for that if you were waiting. Just to show I was active in the summer, um, this latest episode, episode four, I believe, um was recorded in June 2022 with the wonderful Anna Bunton. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Anna. So, Anna is an advanced nurse practitioner. She trained as a nurse in 1997 and at the age of 19 started moving into her current field. If you're anything like me, I didn't know what an advanced nurse practitioner did but basically includes examining patients and administering medicine and basically things that a doctor might be expected to do. She also did a master's degree which covered prescribing. From there she started working initially in a hospital and then later in an out-of-hours service where she provided a mixed role of both nursing, district nursing at night including palliative care and out-of-hours emergency care. She has since spent time in a few different GP surgeries now settled in one in Peterborough and has been a nurse partner there ever since. So the nurse side of Anna is exactly why I wanted to talk to her because of her experience with palliative care. Now a long time ago we had a conversation that really interested me. Um, I was talking about starting the research into the film uh, and she she started telling me about uh, an experience she had the first time she had to deal with a dead body, which is how this podcast starts. Um, so I won't go into it now, but it, it was something that really captured me, captured my imagination, the idea of when it's permissible and why it's permissible to talk about death in society. And so there's some interesting insights on that. And that's where the conversation starts, but then it really goes all over the place in some unexpected places. Um and some not so unexpected places it was a really good chat like i say it goes all over the place it's very rambly but really good some of the things we cover are how we treat the dead and bodies and the rituals around that which is really interesting something that i have overlooked quite a lot in conversations um, i've had with other people in the past and then discussions around personal loss specifically covid related which was quite a shock to hear about what I do want to say is the important lesson here about grief is simple. 
it's just to be there and to listen. Now, this has come up a lot in the conversations I've had in the past, but I think we really kind of, we get to the nub of that in this. And as a nurse, uh, being detached from the actual people that are grieving quite a lot in the sense of they're not loved ones, it was really interesting to hear what she provides in that sense. Um, and we talk about long-term grief as well. I need to kind of say that there's a there's a few clumsy questions in here. And when I say clumsy, I mean obvious, obvious questions that actually I'm slightly embarrassed about. Anna's answers were just too good to leave out, so I had to leave my embarrassing questions in there. So please forgive me for my very obvious and embarrassing questions. Um, and towards the end of the conversation, we talked about grief ceremonies, specifically about Scottish grief tending, which I'd never heard about, um, and the necessity of grief being witnessed which was a really powerful part of the conversation. And finally, at the end, we talked about um, being remembered by, for both ourselves and our loved ones. How, how does that look? How would we lo- want that to look? Um, and how we'd like to be remembered, but also how others live on through us and can li- live on through us through generations and generations and generations. Um, I'm not going to do end things anymore because they feel a bit uh, frivolous. Um, and pointless you don't need me to sum up what the conversation was about and how it went and why it was interesting Um, so they're going to stop from now on we're not going to need those unless they're really needed uh, and I need to say something specific but yeah here's the conversation with Anna Bunton So ages ago, when we first had the conversation about this, um, and I'm really going to try and really egg you on to remember the conversation that we had, but you told me about your first experience um, dealing with a dead body, Mm. launching straight into it. Um, Do you remember that conversation that we had? I certainly remember the experience, yeah. Tell me about it again, like you've (laughs) never told me before. Okay. So, yeah, so I I was uh, a student nurse and very green, you know, I was quite young. I was sort of probably 20 or something. And um, I was working on a ward and on this ward, um, we we dealt with all sorts of things. But on this particular day, um, there had been a lady who had very tragically, she was quite elderly. I think she was in her 90s and had quite tragically been brought into the A&E department because she'd fallen um, actually fallen down the stairs um, so I presume in the morning she got up and she was quite well and everything was okay and had got dressed up in all her many layers as old ladies do mm-hmm. with her um, and then something had happened whatever and she'd fallen down the stairs and obviously she'd sustained some life-threatening injuries um, she'd brought been brought into the A&E department they'd obviously tried you know, realised that they couldn't do anything more than to keep her comfortable and she'd been transferred to our ward, the side room, to be cared for. And I was a student nurse, I was under the instruction of you know, other nurses and I was sort of, I guess, busy doing what I, you know, had been asked to do and then there came a point when this lady had passed away and I was requested by the nurse that could I go and do the last offices for this lady. Mm. And so... I agreed and I went to the side room, having never seen this lady in life, um, and walked into the room and then I guess I probably went into what's the freeze response Mm -hmm. where you, you know, you look and I just had a a feeling of terror 
um, you know, I could see this lady in the bed and she obviously had, you know, some head injuries. It obviously hadn't, you know, she didn't look as good as she could do. Um, and she, you know, she'd obviously passed away. And there was another nurse in the room who was very experienced. And she obviously saw in my face exactly what was going on for me. She could see the fear. Mm. Um, and she was very good because she said, no, it's okay. You know, you can come in. Mm-hmm. You can come to her. She's fine. You can touch her. And what we do is we often talk to people like this. And our job, you know, is to treat her just as we would treat her in life. And that we will give, you know, we will wash her and we will, um, and we'll go through everything together. And that was, you know, I just was exactly what I needed. Somebody to just help let me know what, what I needed to do. Because I think I, I just was, I was shocked. I'd never seen anybody you know, who had died before. And what was extraordinary was, I think, I almost felt like she was going to sit up and grab me. That was the the, the response that, that just naturally came up within me. And, and obviously this nurse, by helping talking me through and, you know, was able to pull me out of just that, you know, clearly ridiculous sort of response. So in that moment, then I learned how... As a nurse, you might care for somebody in dignity and, and what an honour and a privilege it is actually to be able to do what is probably one of the last things that somebody can, you know, do. Physical contact is a really important thing. So together we washed her and we made her look much better and, you know, we were able to shroud her and, you know, go. we always get some flowers from somewhere and try and put a flower you know, with the body and often nurses have this tradition of opening a window as well so that we can sort of, you know, it's a a way of suggesting that we can let the spirit go Mm -hmm. in a dignified way. Mm -hmm. What what really struck me when uh, you told me that story before and it's it's still the same now is that what becomes apparent is is that because you haven't dealt with the dead, most people haven't dealt with the dead body before, but it it seems like... because there's terror involved, you're scared for a reason, and the, the whole sitting up thing, and it's going to grab you. The the person's going to grab you. Kind of suggests to me that the the only kind of okay time to talk about death is through horror, and then you become intrinsically scared of dead bodies. Is that what was going on for you, or was it a more general terror of I'm I'm not sure how to be or what to do. I, I'm sure it must have come from some kind of horror thing. You know, the idea that the body's going to sit up and grab you, you know, must have come from some kind of viewing of, you know, mm. some film or something or in the psyche, because that doesn't make rational sense otherwise. Mm. We just don't see it in society. You know, death is something that is sort of pushed aside somehow and seems to be kept private. Mm. Um and I, you know, I, I'd lost my grandmother, and you know, when my, you know, my grandmother passed away, you know, obviously we went to the funeral, but there was a closed coffin, and, um, you know, obviously the, that was it. Once, once my grandmother was gone, I never saw her again. Um, and during my training, I trained with a nurse called Olivia, who was uh, a wonderful. Um, friend of mine who we, you know we did a lot of reflection together so often you know if something like this came up we could learn from each other and our own experiences and Olivia was an Irish nurse so she came from Southern Ireland and they have a very different you know way in relationship with death 
Um, so she was able to ex- share with me her experience of death in the family. And one of the things, you know, when a family member died is that the coffin is taken to the house, um, you know, and the night before they have an open coffin and everybody comes. So it's a community event and the women will sit, you know, by the loved one, by the body, and will keep a hand on the forehead all night long so the forehead remains warm so that anybody that can comes in can come and can kiss the forehead and it won't feel like it's you know like it's very cold um and they will you know they'll have a few drinks and they'll have a few songs and they'll tell stories about you know this person and they'll cry together and you know so there can be a real community response but also the fact that they're they're spending that time you know there's a ritual i guess around um you know sort of you know, letting that person go and celebrating their life that is definitely, certainly had been missing in my experience, you know, I've lost my grandmother. Yeah, exactly the same experience for me with, I, I remember distinctly, because my grandmother was the first person that I lost in my life, and I remember distinctly when the coffin turned up, I must have been about eight, nine years old, and imagining my nan in there, um, but obviously never really... It was a it was a weird feeling to kind of go, oh, that's my nan in there. But obviously, there's a difference between experiencing something in reality than than th- like in theory, my nan is in there. Who knows? Maybe she's not. Maybe this is just an empty box. So you don't actually know. Um, and actually, I talked about the the Irish way of celebrating death um, in the first episode as well, um, which I just think is so beautiful. Do you, how do, how has your relationship changed over the years? Obviously, you've had that first experience that you've just talked about, but do you think, well, I don't want to actually give you a loaded question, but what do you think's happened for you over the years of dealing with not only the dead, but the grieving as well? I guess it's around you know, it's become more normalized. You know, I know it's a part of life, it's very much. A part of life you know that death is and it's you know an illness um and and supporting people and you know so actually you know recognizing you know my early responses and you know the kind of learning that I've gone through in order to be able to I needed to deal with how I felt about you know sort of death before I could then meet somebody else and, and understand and, and walk with them as mm. to how they feel with it and so you know you need to allow that space and again you know you really have to you know, in these situations, you know, I deal with a lot of people who perhaps have never walked that path, you know. So being able to, you know, meet them and, you know, just listen to what's going on, but also that invitation that that nurse gave me, that it's okay. Mm. It's okay to come in. It's okay to be here. It's okay to, you know, take as long as you need to. And all emotions welcome you know no emotion sometimes mm. can be welcome um so it's kind of creating a safe container so that people are able to respond to be able to move past you know it might be fright and flight it, you know it might be freeze you know whatever kind of initial emotions coming up you know to be able to just be there i think it can be really helpful and often being in there in silence as well so that's you know something that i use you know, if I meet people and particularly um, when somebody has just died and if you haven't, you know, met that person before, sometimes you may not have, you know, met the family before, sometimes you have, but just to walk into the space and just be there for a while 
and to feel you know feel what's going on feel the grief and and often grief is I think of it like the sea in the initial stages certainly and it can have very different um very different energy so you know the sea might be quite you know quite wild and violent and you know people just feel like it might drown so you've just got to sit there for a while and allow that to happen until you know eventually you know we get exhausted you know and sea sometimes tends to calm a little bit and then when there's that space you can then you know ask people you know how is it for them and what do they need and and maybe kind of just help people understand you know what are the next steps that maybe need to happen sometimes there's some practical things that need to happen as well so um I think I guess it's being a guide isn't it that's being you know that's a privilege that I have as a nurse is that I can you know meet people in some of the most traumatic moments of their life and just quietly maybe just be a guide or a little bit of an anchor just to just to be so they're not alone in that Mm. and I guess that presence that you're talking about kind of gives them permission to grieve in a way is that is that right like I feel like some of the struggle with grief is is the idea that you're a bit of a burden if you're grieving Um, and I guess in the initial stages that's kind of unavoidable but I think there's a little bit of guilt that people feel about talking about grief and so I, I guess your presence there kind of without you saying it's okay, your presence there kind of gives them permission to, to grieve. Is that right? I would hope so. Yeah, I would yeah. definitely hope so. And I guess, yeah, there's a long trajectory to grief because grief, you know, is something that will be with you for the rest of your life. You know, mm. if you lose somebody who is, you know, deeply close to you, um, then, you know, you will always carry that grief with you. And, you know, the idea of, yes, maybe some people might think of it as burdensome, but it could be really difficult as well because we don't have language as well to know how to talk to people. And again, that initial fear response, you know, if I'm meeting somebody who I deeply care about, who I know is grieving, I know they've lost somebody very close to them, but almost I might be too scared then to say the wrong thing or to know what to say so there can sometimes be that sort of fear perhaps between a relationship where both people might be slightly avoidant um just because again you know if you haven't seen that role modeled you know if that's not discussed within society and you know you haven't dealt with grief in community and you're trying to do that on your own then i think there's a real danger that people can feel very alone with grief as well Mm. So how's that changed for you your your it, not not what you do through work but your own actual life do you feel through your work you're more prepared to deal with friends and family that are grieving or potentially your own That's an interesting thing I mean we've been through a really difficult time and I've definitely I've lost some very close people to me recently and I lost my brother-in-law to covid um, two brother-in-laws to COVID. Um, yeah, so that's, you know, obviously been, so my family have been going through some great trauma and seeing my sister in grief at the loss of her husband has been one of the hardest things that I've had to witness and continue mm-hmm. to witness. And, you know, I can feel those patterns that come up that, you know, we close people down sometimes, you know, there's a danger that because, you know, that grief is so big and so difficult. And, you know, if people start, you know, sort of, you you want to say it was not your fault, or, you know, I know that she felt very uncomfortable with people sort of saying things like it'll get better with time, 
you know, because you don't want to hear that mm. when you're in so much pain. Mm. Um, so I guess it's helpful to have that recognition where I just had to keep reminding myself, just, just listen, just allow whatever she needs to say and to, you know, to, to allow that, that grief to come towards you mm. and, and, and not try and change it. Just mm. try and imagine that I'm just walking alongside her or that I can just show up, maybe just show up and do something practical. You know, particularly if, you know, if I don't feel like I've got the capacity and she doesn't feel like she's got the capacity, but I'm just in the space doing some housework, you know, then that's, that's being with, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that has definitely come up a few times in different conversations that I haven't recorded for podcasts, unfortunately, but the, when I was in the research stages of the film were essentially advice that you can just turn up and just be there and that it need be nothing more than that because platitudes of like, let me know if you need anything um, is people genuinely mean it. Don't get me wrong. That's well-intentioned thing to say, or let me know if you need anything. But I I think someone that's experiencing intense grief, isn't going to be going on the phone and going, Oh, by the way, I need some milk picking up. Could you, you," or whatever it is that you need, or can you just come around and hold me or whatever it is that, that you might be wanting for someone just to be there, I think, is like the the most helpful thing. One of the most helpful things you can actually do. And I've also heard uh, you, you reminded me of this this idea that that like grief should be finite. Like people get impatient after a while. So I know of somebody without giving too much detail, so people can't guess. But I know of somebody who was still grieving after a year for the loss of someone very close to them, and colleagues were were getting frustrated with the idea it was like well it's been a year now you should you should really get over this by now and i that's plainly ludicrous the the idea that you can just switch it off and it's like oh everything's fine now because time has sorted that out now um i guess through your work you you only really deal with the immediate aftermath right you don't you don't see the the long term at all or just am I wrong and you do actually get to see that well because I work in um a GP surgery I mean people can make an appointment with me for whatever they need to in terms of their health needs so I do have ongoing relationships with people as well and having been there for 10 years I mean I've actually got you know intergenerational relationships as well which is nice and you know I have seen you know a, a lot of some of the older generation go through you know, sort of frailty and, and, and loss and, you know, their children and their grandchildren are registered with us. So certainly, you know, I mm. do have people turn up and it's not uncommon for people to turn up in crisis a year down the line. Mm. You know, they thought they were doing okay. They were sort of somehow, I don't know, plodding on or distracting or, you know, just trying to sort of almost show up for everybody else around them, like you say, so not to burden some and whatever. And then all of a sudden they're just realising this is just getting harder and harder. It's not getting easier for me. Um, and so, yeah, I, at that point, you know, I can be there and I can listen and then, you know, maybe try and see if I can point them in the direction of where they might be able to get some community support or they might be able to get some bereavement support. Or, you know, I think just sometimes knowing actually that there's somewhere that you can show up when you start you're not sure where to go, mm. you know, is uh, a beautiful thing that we have in the NHS as well with the doctors. And, you know, that that is, for some people, that is the only place 
that they have to show up. You know, there are people that are very disconnected and, you know, very lonely. And is it? Do you mean that they're lonely in life generally, or that they're lonely in the sense that they they haven't got they don't feel like they can talk to anybody about the experience of bereavement and grief? I think it's both. I think it's both. Yeah, very much both. And I think you know sometimes even again that normalising you know, what's going on and maybe sometimes when it comes to that sort of grief and, you know, mental health, actually, you know, trying to help somebody identify who is in their social network and who is around and, you know, whether there is a way that they could raise that conversation with somebody that they feel safe with, that they care about and and how that might happen um, can be really powerful. Mm. You know, often people come back and the next time I see them, they say, yeah, I, I did actually. And, do you know, like you know they've suddenly realized that actually that they've experienced that too and they suddenly realize that they have shared experience and that can you know be really healing knowing that somebody you know, is with you and understands you it's so important to to be understood you know for your pain to be witnessed to be seen and to be understood and for you to matter mm. is really important mm. you mentioned just then about um older patients um I'm just curious to know whether they're they're coming to you with uh, having lost um, loved ones or whether they're actually coming to you with a fear of their own death. So, um, I, and I guess with older people, I mean, they come for all their own health problems and we're not just one problem, are we? We're not just a person who has a sure. heart problem or a diabetes or grieving. We often come with a whole host of things mm-hmm. um, and certainly... Um, yeah, I do have people that come exclusively because grief is the issue, but sometimes that and they may be coming with a health problem, but actually we can identify that, you know, grief is a big part of that health problem and how it affects you physically as well as emotionally. Mm. There is a lot of health anxiety out there as well. You know, I do, you know, treat a lot of people who do come with health anxiety. And, you know, obviously, again, you know, there is fear you know, for some people around, you know, what would happen to me? And again, you know, normalising those conversations for people around, well, you know, if we accept that our life, you know, will be limited, all of us at some point, we may not know when that is. But if life were short, you know, if you knew your time was short, what would be the most important thing that you would want to do? What would make today the best day that it could be? Because that's a really helpful way of looking at it. You know, and then I can have conversations with people to say, well, look, you know, if something did happen to you, you know, you've got quite a few health problems. Something did happen. What, what's your priority? Some people have never spoken about this before. Some people have never thought about it before. And that's OK. And, it, and you might not want to think about it. Some people don't. And that's OK. But some people have really thought about it. You know, and they've really got an idea about what they might want. Like they may want you know, life-saving treatment, resuscitation and, you know, give me everything that you've got. Some people might say, do you know, I, I just want to live out my days in my home with my garden and, I don't know, my pet cat or... And I, I want, you know, I want comfort. I want care over, you know, so is it a case of, you know, longevity or is it a case of comfort? Where are we going here? What? So I can have those conversations with people and I find that really helpful because actually then we're more connected. Mm. Then they know that I know what they actually, what they want, what they need. Um, and then it makes it easier for make, to, to make joint decisions around their care as well. Mm. You know, rather than just assume that everybody wants to, you know, be blue lighted into hospital if something goes wrong. And then you, are you talking in turn to then relatives? I guess that's not your job to then 
convey the messages on to other people, right? Like if, if you're talking about, you know, um, end of life care. Yeah, so, I mean, like some people will bring their relatives. Right. And for some people, it's very important that their relatives are involved. Some people won't. Sometimes people aren't able to advocate for their own needs. They don't have capacity anymore. And it might be that we need to talk to their relatives to understand, you know, they may have a sense of what it is that, you know, their, their loved one would have wanted some people even have a living will, you know, and they've gone to a solicitor and they've made sure that they've set it out quite clearly. But I think it's really helpful to have these conversations really early, mm. you know, before people are ill. You know, it's not that I'm expecting you to die. It's like, it would be really good if I knew what, you know, if you yeah. do know what you want, it'd be great that we knew it. Weirdly, it's something I think about a lot that I, if, if, God forbid, that something, you know, an accident happened and I was gone the next day, who would know what I actually wanted? I mean, there's not a lot of things that I want to, but I'm talking about like, you know, what, what would I like my kids to know about me? You know, what, do, who would I like them to stay in touch with? Like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of conditions I would like to be known, but I only ever think about it as like, wow, well, well, that's not going to happen. So I don't need to worry about it. But at the same time, it obviously occupies my mind enough to, to, to be a concern. Um, so I should, probably just go and do something about it yeah have that conversation because it is really yeah. important it's interesting i mean i had that conversation with miles my husband the other day i said do you want to be buried or cremated i don't know i'm not you know i'm not suggesting that anything's <laughs> going to happen but you know actually how would i you know i think that would be turmoil for me like you know if something happened and i just thought i don't know what you want yeah so you know and then it kind of it, it becomes strange you know he looked at me like it's not the kind of conversation you normally have, but actually once you've said, well, you know, I'm, I'm saying this because I, you know, it might be the other way around. You might need to be asking me this question, but, you know, we, if we're that close, if we're life partners, surely, you know, we should be able to have that conversation. Yeah, right. I mean, does it, does it affect your, uh, like, so you're having a conversation like that to most people that's like, what are you doing? Why are we talking about this? Are, it, do you find that you're a bit more closer to, to death because of your job and so therefore want to have more earnest and frank conversations with people about the, the eventuality happening? Do you think that's like an influence on you and other people are then find it a bit weird? Well, I mean, I, I mean I'm, I'm sure that obviously being a nurse and, you know, having, you know, the experience that I've had in nursing has definitely, you know, had an effect obviously on you know, how I approach health and well-being and life. Mm. Um, but I, yeah, I, I also think it's a really important thing for us to think about in a wider context, you know, just to kind of, we, we're a little bit disconnected, you know, I feel with the natural world and the natural processes. And, you know, for me, like one of my big concerns at the moment is what's happening in the environment and things like that. And I see that disconnection. And, and I think it's really helpful for us to recognise ourselves as, you know, natural beings as well, as part of that natural life cycle, you know, that, yeah, that you know, we're born and we live and, you know, sometimes we're ill and we go through a season and then there'll be a point when, you know, we'll naturally go. And, and I guess making friends with that is helpful, I think, to, it's, I find it quite connecting, I guess. And, you know, maybe that goes back to, you know, my allotmenting and things like that as well, you know, that we, you know, you actually go through proper seasons with, you know, growth and, you know, winter where things die down and, you know, sort of autumn and winter are traditionally a time, I think, 
for morning and you know for sort of drawing in and quieter times and then you come back to spring which is a time of growth and regeneration and mm. so just kind of I guess what I'm trying to convey is that that sort of that sense of just maybe just accepting the natural order and maybe you know being more normalized within that mm. it's a hard one to understand whether like you as you get older you get more used to the idea of um, the idea that you're going to die one day or I mean there's many factors that contribute I mean I think I was a lot less scared of it when I was younger and actually as I'm getting older I'm getting more scared and I think that is because I've had kids there's there's a whole kind of like well I don't want to leave them and in fact the idea of not m missing any part of my kid's life is is a tragedy but obviously it's going to happen Through your work, are you present to, um, do you have to be with anybody as, as their life ends? Do you have to kind of hold hands or anything like that? Well, it's certainly something that I have done mm -hmm. in, my, in my job um, on many occasions um, in different capacities. And obviously, you know, if in the role I'm in now, I'm more office based, but I do go out and visit people at times. And of course, you know, if that you know, occurrence happened then, you know, it, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing, you know, to be with somebody. If, you know, if you happen to be in that moment and they're there and you're the person that, you know, is able to be with them and, you know, hold their hand, like you say, or talk to them. I remember at the old Peterborough City Hospital many years ago being with a, a lady who her family told me she was very religious and I think she was Catholic. And, you know, for them having the Lord's Prayer when she died, that's what her wish was and it just so happened that I came into the side room and you know there were no family there and I was the person that was there and I you know I recognized that this was her final moments and I was able to you know say the Lord's Prayer as she left I actually kind of feel slightly choked up now just because <laughs> you know to be able to meet what, what was somebody's last wish in that moment you know what a beautiful thing Hi, um yeah, that's, it is a very beautiful thing. I mean, it's got us both choked up. What what um, what happened for you at the time? Did you were you overwhelmed with emotion at the time as well? Yeah, I definitely. You know, I definitely. I I, I know I was. It's, I guess it, that's a beautiful tear, isn't it? I yeah. shed a tear, and it was very sad. But I was also I felt honoured. You know, to be able to do that, and I. It was lovely to say to the family. Yeah, I was with her, and I. You know, I was able to say the Lord's prayer for her as well, mm -hmm. and that was nice. And you know, and I've. There are times, obviously, where family are there, and then sometimes, you know, you may be able to instruct the family to say, "Look, you know, I think you might want to go and sit here now, and you know, is there anything you need?" And you know, maybe just be able to help them to, you know, take that space. Mm. With, with experiences like that, has, had she been there for a while, so you'd got to know her, and so that, that you felt like more connected. And I don't know. Does it feel less appropriate if they've only just come? To the hospital that night for example and then they pass away or does it is there is there a difference in your relational um experience with someone dying or, is, or does it feel very much like a privilege each time in the same way that's an interesting question isn't it yeah i mean i it is a privilege isn't it like you know people are all loved by somebody mm. um and all cared for and and actually even if you know, even if it seems like that person is very alone, you know, and, and doesn't seem to have any, even the more reason, you know, to give them, you know, dignity and, 
you know care in those final moments as well so yeah I just I do I I generally see nursing as a privilege in my entirety of job but obviously these particularly tender moments aren't they when you're you know helping somebody transition you know from this world Mm. and how do you care for yourself after an experience like that so I mean I definitely there's been more emotive and more traumatic moments that I've witnessed and I have just gone and cried mm-hmm. you know and and that's good you know to cleanse you know I do we do reflective practice so obviously it's you know we can talk to a colleague and we can you know sort of share what happened and you know how that experience was and obviously I, I might even you know go home and you know without sort of telling details I might just you know just talk to you know somebody in my family my friends or say you know a difficult day and I witnessed something that you know is just kind of know it's it's within me now but everything you know all things are different I mean sometimes it might be just a case that I'm meeting a family after that person has died and I might not have met them in life um, and I can give them the dignity to confirm you know the legalities of the fact that that person has passed away Um, you know but actually then my attention might you know might actually need to be more with the family you know and how was it for you what happened you know what did you witness and you know just really let them just process that moment so that I can you know be with them and support them Mm. so I I know uh, this sounds like I'm changing the subject I'm really not um but I know like um therapists and counsellors and stuff like when they obviously take on a lot of people's problems and issues when they're when they're counselling them and they they it's not a a passive thing when you're sat there you you are listening and understanding and empathising and and taking on stuff like not taking it on personally but you know you you obviously feel for that that person and I guess this is the same thing I'm getting to with with the more traumatic experiences for you and you just mentioned that you practice essentially talking to other people um so is that something within the medical profession that is largely encouraged through training like go and talk to your colleagues or whoever it is that you want to confide in and and talk about the issue and if so, how does that kind of manifest itself in the workplace? Yeah, so it's reflective practice, so we're all meant to do it. It's part of our professional development, so it's most raw and basic and sort of just, you know, it could be just that you, you write down a few episodes a year and you've ticked the box and you've you know, you've reflected. But in reality, when you work in a team, you know, you, we often talk about the patients that we deal with and, you know, we can share. And so that's part of a culture, really, and it's a culture that we encourage mm. Um, so yeah I would definitely want anybody from the team to come and talk to me about anything that was difficult you know also talk about celebrations you know stuff that you know that we've witnessed that you know has gone well as well Mm. which is really important Mm. so with that with that reflection for the more um, difficult situations do you feel that that you're able to go okay I've talked about that I've processed that and then move on or do in 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 your profession do you feel like actually that's something that's going to stick with me now for a a very long time and it will keep on reoccurring for me um I think on the whole that reflection's been helpful because you know actually you can't take everything home as if it was your own family or your own situation because you just wouldn't be able to continue to do the job but there definitely been times you know where for whatever reason there just seemed to be a lot of 
you know, difficult situations in one go, you know, mm. something's happened or maybe something about your own personal resilience and, and what's going on, you know, in your, your life as well. There have been a few times where I've just thought, you know, oh, this is really heavy and, you know, how, you know, how is this affecting me? You know, you sometimes wonder, you know, how, how, how will this affect in the long term? You know, where there just seems to be quite a lot. But then it's good, you know, because that's recognition. So, and it's always about awareness, isn't it? So awareness of where you're at, awareness of the, where that mental capacity is at. And, you know, maybe you might need something a bit more formal as well, you know, some more formal mm. opportunity to really sort of process if, you know, things have been difficult. Hey, I mean, it strikes me that you've got to be an incredibly robust person to be able to do what you do like if I imagine myself in the same situation and something tragic happens whilst I'm there that would send me into a spiral of all kinds of upset um and I guess it's not an immediate like you you're trained immediately for straight in there there's a there's a gradual process of of experiencing more and more so it's I guess more palatable but do you think do you think people in the medical profession need a certain type of personality to be able to get through it? Uh, I mean, you, I mean, yes. In terms of you know, if you're very squeamish about blood or you know, sometimes yeah, sure. it's never going to work for you, is yeah. it? But um, and, and the training though is a big thing, isn't it? Yeah. And I think you know, we, our opening thing was just you know how green. I was uh-huh. you know and how frightened I was in that moment and how I was just not equipped to yeah. deal with that but how there was a process that was already in place you know there was a nurse who had a lot of experience who was able to do that yeah and then she was able to debrief me afterwards you know and we were able to reflect on you know so that actually I could see the positive mm. in that scenario and then the next time obviously I came across a scenario I was more equipped Mm. You know, I was able to do that. And, you know, obviously, subsequently, I've, you know, taken many learners through that process mm. as well and supported people in different scenarios. So that, you know, that training is is so key, you know, and it, and it builds and, and it builds on, you know, over time mm. and experience. And it is about that experience. Yeah. So, I mean, as you know, this this podcast series is about like that, that, that removing the taboo around grief and talking about bereavement and loss and building um traditions around it and uh, unfortunately i'm having to use the word building rather than kind of reclaim because i feel like like any any tradition on around grief in this country has been long lost um although i'm sure there's some similarities to other cultures nearby like the irish thing that we were talking about a moment ago you know open caskets were still a thing in this country not that long ago i believe um but that's slowly been phased out for whatever reason it's really hard to understand what those reasons are but through your experiences is there has there been something that you've witnessed i, I don't want to say culturally but like something that you've witnessed in in a hospital uh room or 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 something where you've been taken aback by uh the process or the tradition that you've not witnessed before is there any anything comes to mind where you've seen something and gone that's cool not necessarily cool (laughs) two thumbs up (laughs) (laughs) um i mean it's interesting isn't it because if you witness something in a hospital you're already divorcing somebody from their culture 
And there's already a power imbalance, isn't there? Because you're kind of on the hospital's terms. And so that's quite difficult, isn't it, to bring in traditional culture. Not that it doesn't happen. And certainly there are different, you know, sort of we've got a big Pakistani, you know, community in Peterborough. And certainly, you know, you'd see lots of relatives and lots of visitors and, you know, sort of certainly a whole community response to Mm -hmm. somebody being quite poorly, which is, you know, really to be celebrated. Mm albeit sometimes a bit difficult to manage if you're in an institution as well. Mm. So, you know, there's there's pluses and minuses. And I've looked after, um, you know, sort of people from a traveller community who have passed and, and how their belief system is very different and an unusual system where they covered the, the ceiling and the walls with white sheets and as part of their culture and tradition and, you know, how, you know, it was very important for uh, the female of to be close to... They're, they're dying relative rather than a female who's not from their culture because some beliefs around the spirit moving mm. and you know where the spirit might move and obviously didn't want the spirit to move into the the nurse or whatever so mm. yeah so there are interesting cultures um, and differences but actually what a interesting thing i witnessed last year was i went up to um glasgow to the cop 26 um conferences and in Glasgow, there was a lot of people from all over the world who were coming together in protest. And there was, um, in the Govan area, they had um, an area, I think, where they used to resistance and they actually divorced themselves from the crown. They said that, you know, that they're, they're not keeping us safe. And so they um, I had built this community space where they had meals. And there was a lady there who did a grief-tending workshop. And she was um, drawing on their traditional grief tending ceremonies as they would have had in Scotland Um, and she had been a social worker and she'd worked with an elderly community and had learnt this grief tending ritual which has long been lost which she brought back to share Um, and it was really interesting you know so they had um, one of the chaps who played the pipes you know the traditional pipes not the bagpipes but the arm ones that they sound very soulful and very moving and how the women would have come together and would have you know literally wailed and cried and they had a particular sort of movements that they would have done together as a community to process the grief um, and then following that, how they would have sung in community together. And she just did a sort of a little rendition of a song that started, um, which was like a lullaby, you know. So having had the soulful crying, you then had the lullaby music, which was quite soothing. And then as she moved on to the end to something that was actually quite upbeat and fun and got everybody involved. But you could see that that process of tending grief as a community collectively, mm. um, allowing and inviting emotion um, and that soothing together, it was it was interesting to witness. And like you say, when you bring up that idea of how to how to build a container for grief, how to collectively grieve, or to to make it okay to express mm. what you're feeling together, is really powerful because grief does need to be witnessed. It does need to be shared. Mm. It's you know it's it's a terrible thing to hold or feel you're holding that all on your own. So and I I think I really reflected on it as well because as I shared with you you know I've been going through some grief in my family so being part of that sort of grief tending process was interesting um, it really helped me reflect because in the COVID times of course some of us have had to bury our relatives in very you know sort of not allowed even the minimal tradition mm. that we have. Um, and so you know going you know in a very sort of only a few people are allowed you go to this place and you know that you know my brother-in-law was cremated and then we all had to go home 
there was no wake you know there was no place and you know really just feeling like that grief was just trapped mm. in our body that we couldn't you know because we were just too in that that freeze stage and the shock and the that emotion you know you kind of need the next stage you need to be with other people you need to be able to you know allow that to settle even so then you can start kind of understanding who else is here who's grieving him and how do you know him and you know how can we have that conversation but you know just not being able to have that conversation you know mm. at that time when you've just literally said goodbye to somebody and then driving home you know so so definitely you know there is a, a big power in having ritual and ceremony around grief tending that's a really really powerful point because you know we're talking about grief and acceptance of grief grief within society and actually it's very stripped back in in england anyway um and the very few times that it is kind of permissible and this is okay is the funeral and the wake afterwards and to have covid hit and that be stripped back even more yeah i think that gives you concrete proof right there that, that how important that ritual is should we get back to death yeah <laughs> but it was interesting i was something that you spoke to me earlier about you mentioned you know about that kind of fear of i guess fear of dying you know mm -hmm. being a father and you know being aware of responsibilities and being aware of just how that you know weighs on you and, and I can I guess what came to me was yeah absolutely when you have children you you know you really want to pass on your values don't you? you really want to raise them in a way that they're going to be safe and you want them to grow up to be um happy successful people and I think by success I do mean happy you know mm -hmm. just generally just you know they're happy in their skin and they're you know they're living a life in some kind of purpose and um you know which suits them and so, so yeah, of course that you know we can see why that's such an important purpose that you have, mm. you know, and, and I guess you know nobody ever wants to leave, un, you know, if the purpose is unfinished, you know, if your business is unfinished, you want to do that. Obviously, as your children get older, you hope that you know. I'm, I'm fortunate; I've got two adult children now, and it's it's lovely to see what lovely people they are, you mm. know. And actually, that you just think, oh, you know, sometimes you think that's. I don't know how it happened. I'm sure I slid by the seat of my <laughs> pants. But, you know, that, that, that they've grown up and they're wonderful people. And, and also a reflection, because you said about, I think we do live on, even beyond our death, in people mm. who knew us. Mm. You know, we like, our, like my grandmother's words live on in me. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I quote my grandmothers who have both been, you know, dead for over 20 years. And, and I quote them to my children all the way through their upbringing. You know, my mother's words, my mother's still with me, but, you know, she's, you do, you know, the people you love, you say, oh, this person told me this, and, mm. you know, this is what your grandmother used to say about that. And, you know, I share those stories. And so, and funny, you know, sometimes my children now, they quote my grandmother back to me. <laughs> And they never even met her, you know. She was she died before my daughter was born, and yet she'll still mimic in the voice, you know. Cause sometimes I put on my grandmother's voice when I say it, and, right. you know. So you you she she lives on in us. I remember I, I remember when um, my eldest was born. Not long after that, I really remember this idea that 
that I've somehow become immortal by <laughs> by having a child, which is obviously ridiculous. And I'm I'm really far away from that feeling now. Like that that idea seemed really tangible at the time, but that was it's kind of similar to what you're talking about, but not like necessarily like well I'll just teach him a load of catchphrases and he can say them all like life lessons or whatever they are but it just felt like it was suddenly oh that's part of me and he will exist and maybe he'll have children they'll exist so this feels like I'm not gonna leave like forever like my permanence is kind of a bit more real even after I've died maybe it gives us some a bit more compassion as well actually when you become a parent it makes you feel a little bit more compassionate for your own parents then sometimes I'd, I'd oh, never okay. I'd never understood how much my mum had done for me until I had my own child and a year in you're like holy shit like you know when I was a teenager and telling you to fuck off like I now realise and thought like you don't be what have you done for me like I now realise that you you gave me your life essentially and and invested all your love and money and time into my upbringing but when before you have a child you just think oh it's just surely that's easy you just do whatever like all you do is go to work and feed me it can't be that hard yeah, didn't ask to be born <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like how ungrateful can you be well, it's a lovely um, reflection that you give on that kind of suddenly kind of just getting some real natural sense of knowing that by becoming a parent that, you know, you, you then sort of had some intergenerational connection and that's behind you as well as ahead of you. Mm. And, you know, so I guess that kind of brings up our both our significance and our insignificance all in the same kind of dimension yeah. you know, of deep time. Um, but again, it's very connecting, isn't it? You know, so there's something about being human and recognising us as human and recognising ourselves as natural beings and as part of the earth. And that's just being a, a just a really a natural response that came. Mm. Okay, that's just making me think about something you said earlier about do you want to be cremated or do you want to be buried? Um and that I definitely want to be buried, even though I'm terrified of being buried alive, which is a thing that I often think about. But mind you, being burned alive is probably just as bad, um, although quicker. Um, but the idea that, that if I was burnt and all the energy that came into coalescing into making me just dissipates into the air rather than going back into the ground and feeding the microorganisms that are around me and going back into the earth and all of that kind of stuff. That makes a hell of a lot more sense. We've come from a beautiful thing. And again, you know, it's a non-religious perspective. It's the idea that, you know, all the atoms of the universe have come together and, and, and made us. And then I just wasted it by burning it at the end. Fuck it. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> just burn it. Um, actually, no, put it back into the, to the universe in which you came. Don't just like get rid of it through residual heat that might last for a little bit. But like that seems ridiculous. Yeah, I just think that's a really lovely thought for me, you know, as to, to actually just to return to, yeah. to everything. Yeah. I mean, nothing and everything all in one. It's also nice for the, for the you know, the, the grieving, I think. Like, so, uh, or the people you've left behind, not necessarily the grieving, but, like, to be able to visit, say, if you're buried underneath a tree, like, to be able to visit that tree as it grows and, you know, 
other than a, a a static gravestone that only kind of deteriorates over time, whereas a tree just keeps on growing and changing over time. And that's that seems so much more romantic than the idea of like, well, here's a here's a gravestone that says something on it um and it says the person's name or whatever like of course that's just as useful like i'm not trying to discount the idea of a gravestone being there that you can visit and lay flowers or what whatever it is that you like to do but just like a nice day being able to visit a, a lost loved one in in that format just seems perfect to me yeah and i, th- I guess that shows our, di- <clears throat> our diversity doesn't it that you know everybody has lots of different you know ideas about what they would like at mm. their end and that's really really important but you're right there's something around the ritual isn't there about having a place or a space or Mm. or something that you know we can focus on then so that you know you can you know my husband goes to see his father every father's day you know and he'll go and put flowers on his grave and um you know there are these kind of this ritual that you know it helps you know just because you know that you know he's still misses his father and yet you know again another example of somebody who lives on in him because you know he's got all these wonderful like carpentry skills and amazing things that you know of the the time that he spent with his father and you know there's the kind of that how he enriched his life when he was alive that mm-hmm. you know he then shares out with other people when he fixes all our stuff yeah nice <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.